I'm so glad to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission, to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. I'm going to start today with a big warning for you about how your cell phone could be eating up your wallet in a different way than I just talked about recently with your monthly cell phone bill. Nope, something else eating up your wallet. And it doesn't matter if your iPhone or Android, although my son says, Dad, you're the only person I know who uses an Android. <laughs> really? Okay, also, something that I've been worried about is happening. New stats show that Americans are raiding the equity in their home. I can't even tell you how nervous this makes me. And I'm going to tell you why and when you should actually tap the equity in your home. And I hope that you enjoy this podcast. You'll leave a review wherever you listen or watch. And be sure to subscribe or follow so that you don't ever miss an episode. So, (sighs) Apple has long engaged in a practice that is under legal assault in various countries of the world. And Google thought, hey, it's working really well for them. We're going to do it too. So, you download an app to your phone. And then it's one that you have to subscribe to a service. Do you know This is unbelievable. Apple and Google both make it a contract violation for the provider of whatever service it is that you would subscribe to through the app on your phone to let you know that you can subscribe to it at a huge discount outside of your phone versus inside your phone. What do I mean? So Apple and Google charge massive commissions to any app provider who's on your phone who has any kind of subscription. So you are paying, on a typical basis, 30% more for every month or every year or whatever it is for every subscription that you have on your phone by not taking one additional step that Apple and Google make it a no-no for you to be told. So I'm going to tell you to stop wasting money. So let's say you download a music app, or you download uh, a yoga app, or you download a whatever app. And so the app, you know, you download it for free, but to use the service, or it could be one that's a freemium business model, to use a premium version of whatever it is, You have to pay your subscription. So if you instead go to your laptop or even on your phone, go to the browser, you know, the Safari or Chrome or Brave or whatever browser you use, DuckDuckGo, whatever it is, and you go to the website for whatever that app is, sign into your account on the website, again, on a laptop, your phone, whatever, and you pay the subscription there, you save the big markup that you have subscribing through your phone. So one additional step, one time, once a year, whatever it is, however you pay for whatever the app is, 
you will save a massive amount of money breaking down that toll bridge that Apple and Google have. So it's your money. I want you to save it. So if you have done this, what I call the wrong way, and you subscribe to something through the app, when your renewal comes up, renew at their website for that app, not through your iPhone or your Android, and save the money. Speaking of saving money, Fred in Alabama says, sure, a handful of credit cards offer no fee foreign currency transactions, but don't they just make up those fees by charging a higher foreign currency conversion rate? I suspect so, and this is why I use WISE for credit card transactions in foreign countries where I'm spending more than a few days of my time. And now WISE offers a competitive interest rate on my U.S. dollar balance. All right. Thank you so much. We have not talked about this, Fred, in a long time. All right. So let's deal with the first thing you said. So there are credit cards that charge a foreign currency junk fee, which is usually 3%, could be 4%, occasionally 5%. And then there are ones that have no foreign currency transaction fee. Then the second issue is if they're not charging that junk fee, are they using uh, inflated rate for the currency transaction? Are they charging you something other than banker's buying rate? You want to see in the terms for a credit card that you're going to use overseas that they calculate based on banker's buying rate. So you're talking about WISE. Uh, the other big one in this game is Revolut. And these you may be familiar with if you send money to relatives or friends outside the United States, that these two charge a tiny fraction of the cost of sending money to that relative or friend, what you'd pay normally through the traditional money transfer services or apps. A market they've gone into now is going after affluent travelers and people who may even live in two places, one overseas, one in the United States. And they offer the ability for you to move money onto a card. Like I have a Revolut card. You've got the Wise. And so we're able to put money on it, earn money on interest and savings. And then when we use it overseas, we're paying no foreign currency costs at all. So for people taking a big international trip or regularly travel overseas or live part-time, half-time, whatever, somewhere else, Using Wise Revolut or one of their competitors is a great way for you to save money. And I'm so glad that you brought it up because I haven't talked about this. Gosh, have we done it in the last two years? I'm not. It may have come up one time that I remember recently with a question. So this is from Laura in Texas. When my son was born in 2000, his grandfather bought him Series EE savings bonds with a face value of $1,000. The bonds say they will cease to accrue interest after 30 years. I looked up the value on treasury.gov, and as of right now, they're worth $1,087 each. Should he cash in these bonds now while the value is higher than the face value, or will the value continue to increase? When is the best time to redeem these? He does not need the money at the moment. All right, so Laura, these have earned essentially no interest and fallen way behind inflation over the last 23 years. Um, Series EE bonds are generally a pretty lousy purchase. 
and their cousin or sibling series I savings bonds have proven over time to be a much better purchase. Right now, series I savings bonds are earning a very high rate of interest that will reset in May, and there's not much tax that would be owed on cashing these in. I think that it would be good for your son to sell them and put them into something that would be much more productive than the interest that he's earning on the series EEs, which is pitiful. And so there are lots of things I've talked about, about ways for him to put that money to work. If he's now out in the work world, I would want him to put the money in his own Roth IRA that will grow tax-free and be invested for his long-term future. That would be what I would do because I'm the man from Roth. I just (laughs) love Roth IRAs. And you can read on Clark.com what those are and how they work. And that's what I would do. Chris in Texas says, in the last two years, I've taken over much of the finances and day-to-day operations for my aging parents. In doing so, I've taken steps to monitor their credit accounts through Credit Karma and have been added as a power of attorney to all of their financial accounts. One thing, however, I'm finding it difficult to get a good handle on is the sheer amount of spam and scam and phishing email that comes to their respective inboxes, as well as similar phone calls they receive on a daily basis. It's impossible to unsubscribe to everything, especially with so much personal information available on the internet. I've heard several advertisements from Discover about a free service they offer to help remove personal information from the 10 most popular people search websites, and I wonder if this is worthwhile or whether there's a practical way to go about this myself. I appreciate the great work you and your team do for all your listeners. Don't ever quit. All right. So, Chris, first things first, I love it that you're stepping in to help your parents. This is fantastic. And it's something that more and more adult children are having to take on as parents age. So, I'm going to make a suggestion to you first. Most of the emails that are really going to matter to your parents are from probably less than 20 people. And what I would do is help your parents migrate to a new email service. And I would recommend Proton Mail. The odds they're going to get a lot of junk mail and Proton, very low. And that, that you notify all their friends and family that would be key contacts to email a new Proton Mail account. For each of them, help them set them up, teach them how to how to use Proton Mail, and you want to segregate out that old email address and make it irrelevant in their lives, since most everything coming in there is spam, junk, etc. And that's why I love Proton Mail so much as a clean sheet approach to email with the privacy that it affords. Uh, you said the other thing was spam phone calls or junk phone calls. What I had to do uh, years ago with my mom was tell her if she didn't know who was calling, she couldn't answer her phone. And it took some retraining to get that through with her. But that's the key is that you you let something that's an unknown caller go to voicemail. You check it. If it's not somebody you need to talk to, you delete it. And so you have to be your own gatekeeper with the phone. Uh, The Discover free service, 
I don't think there's any harm in, in using it, registering for it. And I think it's neat that Discover does that. But as far as the big thing, it's got to be resetting their attitude about the phone and coming up with the new email address to start fresh just for friends and family. And again, I love what you're doing for them. All right, we've got to talk about something that really upset me the other day. And that's reading how the locusts, known as the banks, are back at it trying to get you to destroy the equity in your home. And we're going to talk about the proper use of a home equity line of credit or a home equity loan, not what the banks are pitching right now. TransUnion recently reported that the number of people taking out home equity lines of credit HELOCs, is up 50% approximately in just a one-year period of time they measured. People are going gaga over HELOCs and their sibling home equity loans. A home equity line of credit is kind of like having a mad money account where you're approved for a line And then when you want to do something, you write a check against it. So there are circumstances. Oh, and the home equity loan is a different thing. It's a fixed rate where you're given a set amount of money that you then pay back typically over five years, 10 years, or 15 years. So what's the reason that you would pull equity out of your home? The principal reason, and you got to have a really good exception for it to be anything other than this, is to improve that home. Improve that home. But how do the banks pitch this? Oh, take a vacation. Pay off your high interest credit cards. Uh, buy a boat. Buy a car with a tax smart home equity line of credit. Ah, oh, ah. Oh. This upsets me so much. You know why it upsets me? Because I saw what it did to so many hardworking Americans 16 years ago when people started having their homes foreclosed on because the banks pushed these home equity loans to the hilt and lines to the hilt and people borrowed to buy stuff or to do things not for their home eroded the equity in their homes when the housing market went through its slump they were between a rock and a hard place couldn't sell got foreclosed on brutal 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 but the bankers don't care they just want to make their margins and that's why they're pushing them and like a fish with a hook in his mouth the number of these people are taking out up 50 percent in a year five oh percent because the bank said i'm good for the money why don't i do it Okay, so we're going to talk about different aspects of this. Number one, the purpose of a home equity line of credit or a home equity loan is to improve your home, a repair, a new roof, an addition, a renovation, something that preserves or enhances the value of the home. On the other hand, taking that equity out of your home And using it to take a vacation, yeah, the vacation might have been fun, but now you have less equity in your home and another obligation. Choosing between a loan and a line. 
let's say you're going to do an improvement on your home and it's going to take you not months but years to pay off the cost of that doing a home equity loan and the sweet spot is for a five-year home equity loan because the interest rates are much more favorable on that than a 10 or 15 you use it to let's say add on a room to your home you take out that home equity loan you have a fixed interest rate for the next 60 months you do a line that rate floats and as people have seen of late as the federal reserve's been raising the interest rates it controls home equity lines of credit go immediately up in tandem with the increases from the federal reserve that are not over yet okay let me give another circumstance having a home equity line of credit would make sense. Roughly a third of Americans own their homes free and clear. And so that's a fantastic thing. Having a standby home equity line of credit, usually you can obtain these from a credit union with no closing costs or tiny ones. Having it there for an emergency fund, rainy day, whatever, is a fair thing you wouldn't be taking out a lot of the equity of your home if you did have an emergency you own your home free and clear that's a different circumstance because uh, you'd never end up with a great deal of your equity eroded by that but remember this rule the purpose of a home equity line or loan is to improve that home period krista increase. You know, it shows how successful advertising is. Mm -hmm. The banks start pushing this junk and people respond. And um, I remember, you may not remember this, but I remember in 2006, I was riding down an interstate and a bank had this series of billboards that said, tap the equity in your home is what the tagline was on every billboard. And one of them was a picture of a family smiling in a boat. Another was a picture of a family smiling by their new car. Another was a picture of people on a vacation somewhere. And it was all about tapping your house for lifestyle. And I remember on, uh, then I was doing radio, being on the radio show and saying, mark my words, this is going to burn you. Don't do this. Don't let the sea serpent bank take advantage of you and con you into harming your financial security and your financial future. This was brought to you by the American Bankers (laughs) Association. Yep. Okay. Justin in Illinois has a question. You recommend not disclosing that you'll be paying cash when purchasing a used car. But what do you do when the salesperson asks? Do you lie, then bait and switch after a price has been agreed upon? Or is it better to just do the financing and pay the car loan off immediately? What's to stop them from increasing the price of the vehicle once they find out I'm not financing? That's a very good question. I guess I'm not asking you to lie. I'm asking you to say, you know, I'm just not sure. Just tell a little fib. It would be possible that the F&I department would try to blow the deal up. The salesperson is just trying to make the deal with you, and then you end up in the finance and insurance department. That's where all the profit is in dealerships, by the way. And they'll try to sell you some kind of garbage extended warranty, and they'll try to sell you some kind of service plan for coming in for your maintenance visits for the vehicle. 
and they'll try to say the financing and you just keep smiling and you say, oh, no, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. And you'll know there are people you shouldn't be buying from in the first place. If you've already made a deal on the price of the vehicle, then they say, well, we're just not going to sell it to you for that. That tells you everything you need to know because who knows what else you're going to have a problem with them with if they start playing that game. And William in Ohio actually had a couple of questions about this um, this week. William says... I thought we get them every day about this. No. <laughs> Is pet insurance worth it? We have two small dogs and thus far have paid out of pocket spending over $2,000. Please help. Well, William, you know, this is this is a real difficult one to answer because we now provide medical care to our pets through veterinary practices that very much mimic things that we do in human medicine. And so, and we do it usually without insurance. So that's why pet insurance has become a popular and big market. Unfortunately, pet insurance comes with a lot of exclusions. There is no federal law that says you can't do this to somebody buying pet insurance or that to somebody buying pet insurance. It's completely free market and the devil's in the details of the contract. So what insurers do with pet insurance is they exclude certain breeds, they exclude based on age for treating certain conditions and all the rest. So you need to ask your veterinarian what pet insurance they have found treats the owner of that policy the most fair. Because some of the, they all have these colorful, beautiful brochures with the cutest dogs and cats and other animals on in them. And you think, wow, I, I just got to take care of my baby and I'm going to buy this pet insurance. And then you go to make a claim. They say, denied, denied, denied. So that's why ask the vet. And as my wife says, I want to come back. If there is reincarnation, I want to come back as a dog because veterinary medicine practices treat the patient so much better than how we're treated in human medicine is crazy. Have you ever, ever heard of a vet practice that charges for parking? That's just one of my gripes about the way human medicine works. And this is from Rick in Ohio. Is credit monitoring necessary if I've frozen my credit with all three bureaus? So credit monitoring that you would pay for, I don't like ever. But I do like that with Credit Karma, you can monitor your credit for free. It requires that you temporarily thaw your credit with the bureaus, and then it can immediately go refrozen. But then you can have a Credit Karma dashboard, and they will alert you. So why would it be an advantage to have the credit karma thing because they make their money by sending you offers for things uh, because they know your credit profile. Why is it useful? Because you get to see beyond identity theft, you get to see what is the temperature of your credit standing. They give you a, an approximation of your credit score from two of the three major bureaus available to you for free every day. And you're able to see, Oh, my score's going down, trending down, what's going on? And then they show you what factors are sending your score into reverse and then what factors you could change that'll bring your score back up. So credit monitoring as a tool to deal with identity theft is useless 
That's why credit freeze is so phenomenally valuable. But knowing what's going on with your credit, monitoring it is far more than just hoping you have early warning of an identity thief. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If you have not frozen your credit yet because you think it's too hard, too difficult, whatever, please go look at our credit freeze guide at Clark.com and you'll see how incredibly easy it is now and free to freeze your credit with Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Set aside about 12 to 15 minutes to set up your credit freeze with all three and buy yourself some really valuable peace of mind at no cost.